Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I'm excited to uh, talk to you tonight. I'm going to be speaking out of Matthew 2, uh, if you have your Bibles or if you like to follow along. I'm going to be talking about um, the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the Scriptures. And so in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 13, we see the story of the Magi, or the wise men, and their trip to visit Jesus. So we'll talk about that tonight. Um, A few years back, I went on a trip with a group to Yosemite National Park. Anyone ever been to Yosemite National Park? Beautiful, beautiful national park. They have uh, just gorgeous, gorgeous scenery, mountainous scenery, and some historic landmarks. There's a picture that should be going on the screen. And so we took the trip to, uh, yeah, to Yosemite. And so this is actually a picture that um, was actually my brother-in-law. He was on the trip with us, and that's one of the guys on our trip. He was standing on that rock. Beneath that rock was a 2,000-foot drop, and there were signs like, don't go on that rock. <laughs> and I'm a cautious rule follower. Um, this is his name's Johnny. Johnny was not. He's more of rules are suggestions as opposed to rules. And so I was like freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to have to call this dude's mom, tell him that he fell 2,000 feet, took 8.8 seconds, then smacked on the bottom, and then, you know, sorry, your son's gone, but luckily he survived. And so down he's looking. But as you look, the scenery is just, this picture doesn't do it justice. It's, it's breathtaking, especially because I'm a Michigander, and so we had just that flat land. You know what I'm talking about? We're like, we see a 150-foot hill, and we're like, that's so beautiful. <laughs> So beautiful, and this is just gorgeous. And what I, what I'll say about the pictures when you get there, when you get to El Capitan, or you get to uh, Glacier Point, or you get to any of these points and on and Yosemite that are just breathtaking, you sit there, and you just like look. Now we don't really look anymore. We're like, I just want to take a picture. <laughs> We're like looking through our phones, but you're looking, and then you look over here, and it's beautiful, and then you look over to the left, and. and it's just God's creation. It, it's just, it's a, it's a painting that you couldn't even dream of. It's, it's a landscape that you could, the, 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 the most skilled artist couldn't sculpt. It, it's, it's breathtaking. And what I want to challenge us with tonight is that the story of the birth of Jesus is truly breathtaking. And because we live in a culture that celebrates Christmas every year and we've drummed up advertisements and presents and, and all these traditions, we've, we, we've almost become numb to Christmas. We just sing joy to the world. We watch our Hallmark Christmas movies. We go and we go to Target and the mall and we shop and we go Amazon and we, we fill our time and maybe we'll read the Christmas story, go to a Christmas Eve service and we've become numb. Even the most spiritually mature, on fire Christians become numb to the beauty of the birth of Jesus and his coming to us and coming to humanity. And so my encouragement and my, my uh, motive tonight is to, is to open up our eyes and to, and to encourage us to see the beauty, like we look at in this picture, to see the beauty that is in Jesus' birth. And so in my prayer, 
lately I've been having this prayer. I don't, I don't really know how I started praying it, but I started praying it. It's, Lord, help me not to become bored with Jesus. Another way I've been saying it is, Lord, help my heart to be in awe of your goodness. Psalm 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Lord, help me to not be bored with you. Help me to not get just distracted every time I pick up my Bible, come to church, or I throw on a worship song. Help me to not be bored. So my encouragement is to grow in our fascination with Jesus and his birth, and that this December we would allow the Holy Spirit to reveal something that will develop greater devotion to Jesus and his kingdom. You see, some of us, well, most of us, have issues in our life. We have secret sins, we have, we have hidden motives, we have, we have struggles with depression, we have financial struggles, we have all these pressures that cave in on us, and we think often it's our fault. We have a self-help mentality, we have the American dream mentality, which says, if I can only pull myself up by my bootstraps, then I will get out of this funk, and the reality is, is people have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and yet all we do is we pr- replace one idol with the next. Even if you do get out of your sin, often it's now the idol of money or it's the idol of relationship or it's the idol of, su- it's, it's pick and choose the idol that you want to worship. And sometimes when we change idols, we get some relief from our suffering and so we think it's God. And my, my challenge to us is to say no matter what funk you might be in, your problem is not yourself. Well, it is within you. But our problem is what we're fascinated by. Our problem is what has our attention. Our problem is what we're curious about. Our problem is what we worship. And my, my, my observation of myself and of culture is that we have a proclamation of worship to God. We have the gatherings of worship to God. But often the heart, if we could, if we could take an x-ray of your heart and we could ask it, what is your heart worshiping? It would not be Jesus. It would be something entirely different. It would be, it would be, uh, it would be happiness. It'd be relationships. It'd be money. It'd be our kids. It'd be our grandkids. It'd be, it'd be something else entirely different than Jesus. And what we'll find is if we could have this snapshot, if we could become omniscient for a second, what God would show us is that all of our sin and struggling is rooted in the thing is that we worship the wrong person or thing. And so let us grow, not try to fix and clean up ourselves because often you're the reason why you're dirty in the first place. So we got to look outside of ourselves in order to find the solution to the funk or the difficulty we find ourselves in. And that person is Jesus. So your job is not to go to a spiritual guru. It is not to go to a self-help book. It is to go to the scriptures and start from the beginning is that when Jesus came to us in the first place and not just read through it because we know the story, but to slowly pause and say, Jesus, help me to not become bored with you. See, if you're bored with Jesus, you have a problem. Not that you're the problem because if you're bored with who Jesus is, your life will spiral down into the abyss of destruction because it shows me that your eyes do not see. Because once we see the beauty and the love and the character and the glorious return of Jesus in Scripture, it changes our hearts. 
But here's the issue that I see in myself and others. I don't, I don't preach at anyone else. I preach to myself. Is This is what I see. I, I, I was thinking about this uh, today, actually, about how when you download new software on your computer, anyone ever downloaded anything? So when you download something, there's this message that pops up, and it says, do not close window, else update will not finish. Right? Whether you're updating or you're downloading a new software, if you exit out before the update is finished, it says you'll lose the entire update. My discernment is that many, many Christians are on 70% download and have not given their full life to Jesus. And we've given 70% and we're like, well, I'm trying, I'm trying this church thing out. I'm trying this Christian thing out. Maybe I'll stop looking at porn or stop having sex. I'm going to stop drugs for a little bit. And if it benefits me, then maybe I'll change. Maybe I'll go all in after I test the waters of religion or Christianity. And what the Bible tells us is that it says, if any man would come after me, that he must pick up his cross, he must deny himself, and he must follow Jesus. Jesus preaches, he says that those who come to me, it said that you either gather or you scatter, you're in or you're out, and that there's no halfway in between. Now, many Christians get scared. They're like, well, I am imperfect. Does that mean I'm going to hell? Does that mean I'm wrong? No, that doesn't mean anything. My encouragement is this, actually in this next verse that I want to read to you before we get into this verse. It's in Isaiah 66. I'm skipping for the, guy, the slides uh, in the back. I'm skipping a few verses. Isaiah 66. So you're saying, Jake, this is pretty harsh. You're just coming out of the bat. Yeah, I, I, I don't mix words these days. I'm just ready to go after it, right? I want to see a generation of people that are bought in for the gospel. And that, you guys, are, the culture is too crazy right now. You're in or you're out. And if you're halfway, you're halfway down to the wrong side. We got to be all in for the gospel. So this is what it says in Isaiah 66. It says, these are the ones I look on with favor. How many of you want the favor of the Lord on your life? I do. These are the ones. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Jeff Bezos, don't know if he's a Christian, but his stat, he does not have the favor of God. Elon Musk, just because he's the richest man in the world, does not prove that he has the favor of God. Your boss, your CEO, your rich neighbor, just because they have money does not mean they have the favor of God. LeBron James or any famous athlete, just because they're famous does not mean they have the favor of God. The world will try to trick you. Satan will try to deceive you and say, because they have success, they have God's favor. Those who are humble and who tremble at the word of God have the favor of God on their life. And the devil will trick you and say, you will only have favor if you stop sinning. You will only ever have favor, friends, when you realize that you are a beggar begging at the feet of God. But once you come to the feet of God, he turns you into a king. He turns you into a prince. He turns you into a son. He is not waiting for you to clean yourself up, to figure out your sexual sin. He's saying, come and be humble and tremble at my word. And the favor of God will follow after you. It will go before you. It will consume you. And it will not be favor that's right recognized by man. It will not be favor that is only uh, shown by material possession and net worth. The favor of the Lord is the joy and the, and, the, and, the, and the intimacy that we have with creator. 
It is having peace in the prison like Paul. It is having peace in any circumstance. It's having joy in the midst of family difficulty. It is having joy and trust in a God who can provide when you have no money in your bank account. You see favor of the Lord transcends every cultural position. It transcends every economic status. It transcends everything. And it says that those who want favor, two qualifications. You're humble and you tremble at the word of God. Just think about that imagery of trembling at God's word. When's the last time you've trembled at his word? Well, God, I don't feel like you're near. God, I don't feel like you're close. God, I don't feel like I'm, I'm just in a funk. Listen, don't try to figure yourself out. Tremble at his word. Take the word, read it, and live as if it's true. Tremble and say, God, I don't understand it. Fall on your face at the word of God and watch your life change. YouTube will send you all sorts of recommendations about self-help videos, how to change your life in 30 days, how to get skinny in 45 days, how to do this in 90 days. They're going to give you all the dates. It's all marketing campaigns to try to trick you that you can change your life. You can't change your life, friend. I don't care how old you are, whether you're 60, you're 40, or you're 25. The only change comes from the grace of God, which, which is found at the feet of Jesus. Humble and trembling at his word. Whoo! So as we, as we go into Matthew 2, I want that mindset, that, that heartbeat of trembling, of finding beauty in the word of God and in the birth of Jesus in Matthew 2. So like I said, my message is there is beauty in Jesus' birth. I'm going to read out of Matthew 2. And I'm going to read... Uh, a uh, long portion of it, I want you to follow along to get the, the uh, context of our story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star and it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had, been, had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He did not want to worship him. You'll find out later. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and, they, uh, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. A few verses later, Herod makes a decree that all two-year-old and younger boys in Bethlehem would be murdered. So here we see the story of these magi coming to worship Jesus. And I want to point you back to the picture of Yosemite. And I want to encourage you that there is beauty in the scriptures. 
Just like how we can look at the landscape of Yosemite and see its beauty in multiple spots. So when we look at the scriptures, we can see the beauty that is in the scriptures. The beauty, the story God has written for us. And the first aspect that I want to present to you is just a beautiful picture. Is that Jesus is the better Moses. Some of you are like, what? Jesus, this is what Matthew is saying. Jesus is the better Moses. Let me ask you this. Herod slaughters babies. Where else do we see a slaughtering of babies? In the Exodus story with Moses. He orders the murder of the, of the, of the uh, Hebrew or the Jewish babies. And Moses' mother takes him, puts him in a basket, puts him down the river, and the Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and that's how he gets raised as an Egyptian. Interesting. Jesus is rescued by going where? Into Egypt. Moses was saved by being put in a basket going into Egypt. Later in Matthew, Jesus will go up on a mountain and fast for 40 days. In Matthew, what did Moses do? He went up on the mountain for 40 days and fasted. What happened when Moses came down from the mountain after 40 days? He came back with the Ten Commandments. What did Jesus do when he came back? He taught the Sermon on the Mount. And so the, the story of Jesus is not just Jesus. It's telling a more beautiful story that points back to rich history in the, in the, in the, with the Jewish people that Jesus is, is, is the new Moses. He's the better Moses. He's the deliverer of the people of Israel. But he's better than Moses. And so there's beauty in the scriptures, not just when you read the words, but when you understand the story of the Bible, that God is not just a God of the verses, he's the God of the chapters and the books and the entire canon of scripture. This is what it says in Luke 24. This is Jesus speaking to his, uh, some disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. So what we see is that Jesus taught some disciples about where he was located in the Old Testament. He's saying, you know, the Passover? Oh yeah, that's a picture of me or a type of me. Oh, you see Moses? That's a type of me. You see Abraham? That was pointing to me. You see the walls of Jericho? Pointing to me. You see the manna in the wilderness? Pointing to me. You see all of the Old Testament are types and shadows of Jesus' coming, saving of the world. So there's beauty in the scripture. It's, uh, some people say, I don't understand the scriptures. And I may go, listen, just hold out because if you will tremble at the word of God, God will shine his favor on you and then your eyes will be opened and you will be seeing through the scriptures the beauty of God and his saving power of mankind and even your soul. But if we are going to take an intellectual approach and we're going to say, well, I'm too stupid. Listen, don't sell yourself short. If you're humble, you have the favor of the Lord on you. You have the mind of Christ. Who are you to tell yourself you can't understand the scriptures? You have the spirit of God inside of you. The devil is trying to tell you you can't understand it because he knows if you'll get in there, you'll be forever changed. And better yet, he knows that if you don't go in there, you'll go on YouTube and you'll easily forget the faithfulness of God. Two and a half days passed and you're worried about all the things in your life that are still broken. But when you get in the scriptures, you realize God's faithfulness comes through over and over and over and over and over again. Don't let the enemy lie to you. 
that you cannot understand the scriptures. Even right now, it's changing for some of you. Stop listening to that voice. It's the voice of self-hatred. It's the voice of condemnation. It's the voice of the lies of the enemy that you are stupid. Listen, take off that hat. doesn't look good on you. Put on the hat of the favor of the Lord. If you'll be humble, anyone can be humble. If you'll be humble and you'll tremble at the word of God, he will shine his favor on your life and the scriptures will open up to you. Let's keep going. There's beauty in the scriptures. Jesus fulfills prophecy. See, thousands of years before this was written, there were prophetic, uh, there were prophetic uh, um, declarations of what Jesus would be like. This is what it says in Isaiah 60. This is all referring back to Matthew 2, by the way. This is what it says. Isaiah 64 through 6. Raise your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried on the hip. Then you will see, the ra- uh, see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. F- gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and proclaim good news of the praises of the Lord." See, it's not that it's just that Jesus came. It's that it was prophesied thousands of years before it happened. And Jesus fulfilled it. There's beauty in the scriptures. We realize it's not a book written by men. It's, it's written by men, but its author is God. Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing the scriptures as God sovereignly led them. It is a, it is a man-written, God-directed book and collection of writings. Let's go to Micah 5.2. Another, another uh, prophecy fulfilled. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So there's beauty in Jesus' birth. It's not just Matthew 2. It's that this Matthew 2 passage is actually connected to a rich history in the scriptures. So think about that Yosemite picture. I'm trying to draw in a curiosity, a wonder, a fascination with God's character and his faithfulness. That you wouldn't just view God in his birth or Jesus in his birth through your own cultural lens or your own family lens, but you would start to see that there is just so much beauty, so much fascination that draws me to love God more. So my, my prayer in the beginning was help me, God, to not become bored with Jesus. Just help me not to be bored with him. It's, the, it's like, that's worse than hating him. To be apathetic, to be indifferent to Jesus. That's worse than even reject. It's like to be bored with Jesus is, is like the worst offense that we could ever have as Christians. It's because he's shown us a glimpse and we've tasted of the goodness of God and then we've said, okay, but I like the buffet style. I want to try something else. Lord, help me to not become bored with Jesus. Help me to see the beauty. Help me to be in awe of who you are. So there's beauty in the scriptures and I'm, There's also beauty in the birth of Jesus or in Jesus' birth. The thing that's so fascinating to me is that Jesus was born 
as a baby. You know, we, it's, a, it's a very, uh, it's, it's a doctrinal, orthodox uh, doctrine that of the virgin birth. It's, you know, mainline Christians have believed that since the birth of, since the coming of Jesus, that he was born of a virgin and he was, God came and dwelt among us. But sometimes I just think like, John 1 talks about it, how Jesus was, is the creator. That all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And in Colossians 1, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything, he is the creator of all things. The galaxy, the stars, the earth, the mountains, the valleys, the seas, the lakes, our lives, our flesh, everything was created by him, and yet, He came to be born of a virgin. Why did he do that? Why would God humble himself to be born as a baby, to have his diapers changed, and to learn to talk, and to learn to eat, and to grow up like all of us? Like, why? Like, let's be real. If you were God, you'd be like, I'm not signing up for that. I'm not signing up for that. You wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But God himself, creator, humbled himself to be born of a virgin and to be like us. Now, he still, he still maintained his deity, but he was in the form of man. Why did he do that? I'm convinced that he came to be with us so that we could go and be with him. That's why he he came to be with us so that we could be with him. He knew that we would never clean ourselves up. He knew that left to our devices, we just build really good religions and really manipulate people well in the name of God. He knew that we needed a better savior than ourselves, that we needed a better role model than ourselves, that we needed a better life than what we could offer ourselves. So God, the Father, sent the Son to an assignment to be born and to come and dwell among his creation. Don't lose your fascination with that, friends. That he came to be with us. That he was on this planet reconciling the world back to himself and back to the Father. And that he did it while being misunderstood. He did it while being accused of being all sorts of things. He did it while, while taking on the, the punishment of sin and being beaten and, and, and experiencing hunger and temptation and, and family drama. He, he endured all of it, but why did he do it? So that we could know him. So we could be with him. So we pick up this story where the creator is born into his creation and these magi come to visit him. In Matthew 2, after hearing the king, they went on their way and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went out ahead of them until it came to a spot over the place where the child was found or was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. (laughs) And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm actually going to have my, my almost two-year-old son come up on stage for a second. His name is Bo. <laughs> Everyone say hi to Bo. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. So, you say hi. You wave hi. No. <laughs> okay. I'm bringing him up because this is likely the age that Jesus was when the, when the Magi or the wise men came to visit him. And I want you to get the picture of what the wise men had to do. These were rich men. These were men of honor, men of reputation. And these wise men saw baby Jesus and they recognized him for who he was. As a two-year-old, they bowed. And, okay, stand there with everybody. Come on. As a two-year-old, they bowed down and they worshipped a two-year-old. They bowed down and they saw Jesus and they saw this is the Messiah. And they bowed down. This is, Jesus was like one of us. He was a little baby like this and he came not for his own sake. He came to take on our sin and to usher in the kingdom of God so that we might know him. And the devil and all of the, 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 the messages and distractions of Christmas will get us or tempt us to view Christmas as a holiday. Friends, don't become numb that Jesus came like this. Don't become numb. Don't become bored with the Christmas story because this has the power to change your life that God came to dwell among us. And that magi came and they bowed down at his feet because they recognized that he was king. Don't become bored, friends. Don't lose the wonder. Think about that picture of Yosemite. Don't, don't become numb to the beautiful landscape and the beautiful story that we have in Jesus. You can come take him. Give it up for Bo. Good job, buddy. I think one of the reasons why Jesus came to us in this form is because he knows us humans way too well. <laughs> he, he knows what our condition is to make idols, to, to make ourselves our own God, to think we can handle it, to, to, to question our own selves and our value. He, he, do, he knows what we're tempted by, and yet he came. You know, the interesting thing about his com Jesus' coming, it was arguably one of the darkest times in Israel's history. God had left the temple. God's presence had left God's people. And it was a dark time. And yet, that's the time where Jesus shows up. That's the time in which he was born. I just think, I just think of how many people and how many of us think in certain situations in our life, like, how did I end up here? Like, how did I get myself in this mess? How, like, how in the world, how can I be so stupid or, or dumb to get myself in this kind of mess? Much like Israel. And yet what we find in Jesus is that that very mess, that very dysfunction of the nation of Israel, he says, that's when I'm entering. 
And so in with us, when our life seems so out of sorts and it seems so out of alignment, when it seems like all hope is lost and it seems like, God, you're never, he says, hey, shh, hey, hey, I'm, I'm actually there already. Like I'm in your story. Like just like how I, I, I dwelt among those people, I'm actually with you now. And the message and the hope that's in Jesus' first coming is his promise in Matthew 28 that says, I will be with you until the end of the age. And there's coming a time where he will come back for his second coming in which he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will make all things right. He will create a new heavens and a new earth. He will, he will settle everything that's unjust about our world, all the evil. In the meantime, he whispers and leans into us that are still here today, that are still alive, that still have a chance to repent and turn to him. He says, will you be humble? And will you tremble at my word? Like those magi trembled at the feet of Jesus when he was a two-year-old boy. You see, people are too proud often to tremble at a book just like how most people were too proud to tremble at the, at the feet of a baby. So be humble, friends, and, and grow in your fascination with not just the Bible and not just the birth of Jesus, but in your worship and wonder and awe of who he is. Because our problem is, is not that we're not good enough. Our problem is often that we have too many idols that are still hanging in our home and in our hearts. My challenge to us is to let's topple those idols tonight and let's put our focus and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you bow your heads with me? It's great news of great joy. The Savior of the world has come to us. This Savior is holy this Savior is perfect. This Savior knows all of your sin. This Savior knows your destiny. This Savior knows you better than you know yourself. This Savior is offering forgiveness and a new life, offering his favor to anyone who would be humble and tremble at his word. Humility doesn't look like you thinking yourself is trash. Humility is realizing that we in of ourselves are insufficient to save ourselves and that we need a savior. And trembling at his word is not being fear, uh, afraid of God. It is realizing that God is the creator and that the safest place to be is under his power. If you have never given your life to Jesus or better yet, you're on that 70% download and you're, you're waiting to update and you're thinking about Xing out of the download because it hasn't worked out. But tonight, the Lord is drawing you in to give your full life to Jesus. No turning back. 
You see, when you do that, there's, a, there's, a, there's an exchange. Your old, worthless, dirty life for the life that Jesus has for you, which includes full forgiveness. In Romans, it says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you want to be forgiven, if you want that new life, if you want that life full of peace and purpose, I'm going to ask you that everyone would pray with me. But if that's you, just pray this to yourself and I want you to mean it. Would everyone just pray after me? Say, Heavenly Father, I humble myself before you. I cannot save myself. I want to say that again. I cannot save myself from death, from eternity, from pain, from suffering. I am not God. I tremble at your word tonight, God. And I realize that you are God. That you are powerful. I submit myself to your power tonight. I believe that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for my sin. He rose from the dead on the third day so that I could be with God. Forgive me. I declare from this day forward, my life is yours. Help me in the days to come. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.